0: You're listening to What The Dev, the weekly podcast of ST Times. And now, here's Jacob Lukowitz, online and social media editor at ST Times.
1: Hello, everyone. In today's episode of What The Dev, we're going to be talking about what can be done to solve the issue of data leakage, which results from incorrect models during machine learning training. For one thing, building machine learning models based on events that didn't actually occur during a specific point in time leads to data leakage. Uh, And this could lead to major inaccuracies, but something called feature stores can help. Joining me to talk about the topic today is Monty Zwiebin, the CEO and co-founder of Splice Machine. Welcome to the show, Monty, and thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to have you here. Great. So to start off, can you tell me a little bit about what is data leakage uh, and what are some of the things that can cause it?
0: Data leakage is a very nuanced problem uh, that um, is is all about tracking data over time and what happens is in a machine learning model you are always training machine learning model over time from examples from the past and as you're tracking the data that goes into machine learning models we typically call those data attributes features um, the the time at which you extracted a feature is really important and it's been really hard for data scientists to keep track of let's say there are three variables that they're trying to track and of course that's just a very simplistic view but just for um for informational purposes here imagine you're just tracking how many times somebody has done a search or how many things are in their shopping cart or um you know how many um Um, times they've um, gone to a new page in a session, all of these data elements that are being tracked in an experience with a customer on a website, they're changing over time. And so it's very hard to remember at Tuesday at 8am, they were all this value. And at Wednesday at 8am, there was value at Wednesday at 3pm, they were this new values. And so You have this time series tracking of data that changes over time. And if you don't have the infrastructure to do that, the following problem occurs. You may train a model and say, at this point, there's an example where somebody had this many things in their shopping cart, they saw this many pages and so forth, but the data that you collected had a little bit of data from Monday and a little bit of data from Wednesday and you blended it together and then you train the model on some of that blending and now what you've really done is train the model on data that didn't really happen. And that's what leads to data leakage and that's what leads to faulty models.
1: Mm-hmm. So what are the biggest drawbacks that you know, di- di- uh, data scientists face when they do encounter those uh, data leakages? Like what well, repercussions can it cause?
0: The most important thing is something that's hard to detect. And um, it doesn't really appear until after they've pushed their models into more of a production environment. But the model is just not accurate. Uh, For example, the model might keep recommending the same product to the customer over and over again. um, But there's really a different recommendation that should have been made, but the model didn't recognize that because the model was trained with data leakage. So essentially to put it in just plain speak, models make really bad decisions. There's no conversion. It has a revenue impact. And so this is um, a hard thing to debug. It's a hard thing to detect. Why isn't my model actually performing well? And it's um, it's a really hard thing to avoid or prevent, and that's where feature stores come into the game.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, still, for for data leakage, is uh, is this kind of been like a dominant model that uh, organizations have been working and feeding their data models? And um, was this because that was the only way to to get enough data at the time?
0: Yeah, I think data leakage is a is a problem that pervades all of the first generation of machine learning deployments uh, because we left the management of training sets to the da- each and every data scientist to do themselves. And that means that each and every data scientist may do it a little bit differently. And it means that they're doing a task that is perhaps not... Um, well suited for what they do really well. A data scientist is usually a mathematically capable um, individual who is extremely well versed in statistical methods. They know the differences between the mathematical approaches of different modeling techniques. Uh, they may have some SQL skills for manipulating data, but they may not be like that SQL expert that's a data engineer down the in a, you know 3 3 doors down the hall who is writing really complex aggregations and joins and can bring together time series analysis in a relational setting or in some sort of data platform and so you've got these groups of people all doing similar things somewhat differently on something that they're not really great at it's going to have mistakes in it, um, and it's not their fault. It's just something that data scientists shouldn't be responsible for tracking the temporal time series changes of the training sets. That should be automated, and it should have really robust SQL and computational queries in it automatically. And that's why it's happened. It's just the f- it's a maturation or an evolution of our space.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so now, can you tell me a bit about feature stores, and do they uh, relieve data scientists of some of this these responsibilities that they had to juggle?
0: Sure, feature stores are designed to do precisely that. The whole idea of a of a feature store is to take the mundane data engineering work that we um, have heretofore given to the data scientists and made them accountable to do and taking it off the plate for them. Mm -hmm. So for example, in a feature store, a state-of-the-art feature store, as features are changing, the feature store automatically tracks the historical or former values of those features. And it keeps that in a time series organized way. So you know at any time point, exactly what the value of every feature was. And that way, as you're forming training sets, the feature set, the feature store, excuse me, the feature store can be asked, can I have a training set for all the features between this date and this date? And it can automatically grab all of the examples that are appropriate for that interval of time. Data scientist doesn't have to write all those queries. They don't have to do all that mundane work. They don't have to debug it. It comes out consistently the same for them and for their colleagues that are using the same features in different models. And so that's kind of the um, automation on the training side. And on the serving side, the serving side is where a model, perhaps a real-time model performing Uh, a recommendation or a prediction on real-time data, maybe on a website or for an advertisement or in an industrial plant predicting the outages of various components. If you need to feed a model with the current values of all the features, that's a sort of different kind of automation where you need to do that kind of lookup in milliseconds, it's really, really fast, whereas training is all about the analytical alignment of features along the time dimension, like we just talked about. Feature serving is about mi- m- you know a few millisecond lookup of the current value of the features, and the feature store does both for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, are feature stores a relatively new thing? Feature stores are
0: brand new. Um, they emerged through the natural evolution of bespoke machine learning systems at enterprises today. And the first generation of companies that used machine learning would build models into production and each one would have its own feature pipeline feeding the models. And then as companies grew to having hundreds, if not thousands of models in production, uh, this proved to be unwieldy. Um, the, one of the companies that I helped run was Rocket Fuel, and we had thousands of models in production. Um, more well-known companies like Uber and Airbnb and Netflix, whom we use every day, um, use thousands of models. All of these companies, as they started to see this complexity, built bespoke feature stores, and they started to publish the functions of these feature stores. And now companies are commercializing feature stores like us and others and making this now something that is a component that you can buy as part of your machine learning um, stack, your MLOps stack, as opposed to you having to build it from scratch, which is complicated and very expensive.
1: Mm -hmm. Should feature stores be used uh, by data scientists that are handling machine learning models at any scale?
0: That's a great question. And I'm always evangelizing um, the answer to that question is yes. And it has to do with what I call the proverbial brick wall. In the beginning, when you're on your journey to machine learning, and you're a company that maybe hired one data scientist, maybe two, and um, you're trying to get a machine learning model to prove to the board that AI is useful, and you may be able to put it into production, you may feel like you don't need a feature store yet. You may feel like, hey, I can just write some bespoke code and get that out there and it'll be consistent. It'll be fine. But it's amazing now how fast you go from one model to 10 models and from 10 models to 100 models. It's extremely fast now because of all the tooling that's available to companies. So what I recommend is future-proof your AI effort. Start your machine learning journey with a feature store at its foundation. And that gives you the ability to grow into democratizing machine learning across the whole organization, allowing each business unit to build models freely and at scale and consistently with accuracy so that you don't have that proverbial brick wall that you hit and you step back and say, oh my God, I got to build the whole new foundation now if I'm going to take the next step. Starting with a feature store avoids that.
1: Mm-hmm. So you mentioned before that feature stores uh, could be implemented for the for the training and the service side. Can you tell me a bit more about that?
0: Sure. I would say that there's um there's there's four main functions of a feature store. One is just discovery. In a team of data scientists, it's inevitable that a feature for one data scientist would be useful for another. And in fact, without feature stores, two data scientists in the same company typically duplicate their code. And one is writing almost the same feature as another. They may have a slightly different tweak on it, but it's just duplicative work. With feature stores, one data scientist can discover all the features that are out there by searching the feature store with tags that are descriptive of what the features are doing and then be able to adopt those features that are already built. That saves them a lot of time. So that's discovery. Uh, The second is, as I mentioned, feature serving. So in a model, when you want to run a prediction and especially if you want to run it in real time, you need to be able to, uh, extract all of the values for a feature for a particular business entity like a customer or if you're trying to predict the outage of a component, that particular sensor or, or um, valve or whatever the uh, entity is that you're building a prediction on. And that needs to be done in milliseconds. That lookup um, is a service that a feature store provides. The third function is the construction of the training sets for that data scientist. Um, You may have a thousand features in a model, being able to consistently grab the examples that are aligned on time for each example and form a training set in a repeatable and um, consistent fashion across teams of data scientists are the key elements of training that a feature store supports. And the last capability of a feature store that is an important one and somewhat overlooked in the literature that uh, people are talking about is governance and being explainable and transparent so that if you made a prediction on the underwriting of, a, of an insurance policy or the approval of a credit card or the um, prediction of an outage and you want to find out why it did that, you have to have lineage back into the entire process. What feature values were used to make that prediction in the moment? What training set was used to train that model? What was the snapshot of the database that was at the foundation of all of the pipelines that created that training set? That type of lineage back into the data that you can interrogate and report on especially in compliance circumstances when a regulator may come in and ask whether your model is being discriminatory or not that type of lineage is critical to govern models
1: great yeah i've definitely seen uh, i've heard that there's a lot of demand uh, from the from the governance and the compliance aspect of it now Um, So moving forward, what are some of the things that you expect that feature stores are going to to add on or or how they're going to advance?
0: Yeah, so feature stores are going to get better and better at um, organizing features in ways that are discoverable. Uh, Perhaps you'll even see automated pipelines. That's some of the -the state-of-the-art feature stores help data scientists um, actually uh, break data up into aggregations automatically. Um, so for example, if you wanted to look at someone's recency and frequency of purchasing and you wanted to do that on a 30, 60, 90 day basis, and then in a, uh, maybe an annual basis, they'll create those features for you automatically um, in time series analysis. Uh, imagine, um, you've got a set of sensors in a, in a petrochemical plant that are all shoving data out at different cadences. This one does it every second. This one does it every 10 seconds. Another one is only giving a metric every five minutes. Um, in order to make your models work, you kind of have to have the data at a resampled cadence that's aligned. So feature stores will start to incorporate uh, many of the temporal functions that are required for time series analysis and looking at trends over time. So instead of just having raw data features of what that sensor value was, you'll get the first derivative of the rate of change of that sensor value. So feature stores are going to get very robust on helping to automate the construction of features. And uh, they will continue to get very good at feature monitoring, monitoring feature drift, looking at not just how to construct models, but really helping to monitor models and alerting data scientists to conditions that are changing and that need to be looked at.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it all sounds very exciting. And thank you for the comprehensive explanation of feature stores. Is there anything else that you'd like to add that I haven't asked about?
0: No, these have been great questions. I think um, the question you, mo- you asked about when, when should I use a feature store? I can't emphasize enough the importance of building a foundation for MLOps, including a feature store, at the beginning of your journey. Uh, because uh, you'd be surprised on how much money you can save and how much more productive your data science team can be if you start with feature stores and don't wait until you need them.
1: Great. Well, looks like that's all the time we have for today's show. And thanks again, Monty, for coming on. Thanks, Jacob. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in today. Be sure to check out all of our weekly episodes on your favorite podcast listening platform. Till next time, this has been What the Dead.